Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Welcome to Pantsuit Politics, where a woman from the right and a woman from the left accessorize the news with a fresh perspective. This is Sarah Holland from the left and Beth Silvers from the right. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. Thank you all for joining us. Before we get started, we like to always ask everyone to please sign up for our email, which is pinned at the top of our Facebook and Twitter page, the sign-up form, where you can get the newest episodes of Pantsuit Politics delivered right to your inbox, along with special bonus content. And also, please rate and review us on iTunes. You guys have been amazing, actually, the last few days. We've got tons of new reviews. It helps other people find us on iTunes. And we really want to break through that 150 on the news and politics category, and that helps us do that. So thank you all so much for the new reviews. And also, thank you for giving me the happiest birthday ever. Um, it was so nice to hear from so many people just all over the country. It was totally overwhelming. And so I really appreciate it. You kind of lessened the blow of turning 35 for me. I appreciate it very much. I really, I've told Beth this before, I'm turning 35 on July 28th. And I just don't like the fives. 
Uh, I don't really mind the, like the the big round ones, like thirty, forty, something about five. It's just so middle. It is kind of painful. It's that moment when you're like, "Oh, I'm so close to the next decade now." Maybe that's what it is. Well, I'm glad you you. I'm glad you had fun and you're giving me hope for my thirty fifth. Yes, I made it through, so it was great because of because of our listeners a lot. So thank you guys. Well. So in today's episode, in the pearls, we're going to cover, as always, election updates, um, Super Saturday, and the results from um, several of the primaries and caucuses. In the suit, we're going to cover uh, a constant request we've been getting, which is for Beth to start her own third party. So we're going to talk about best crazy moderate party, what that would look like for both of us if there was a third party. And in the heels, we're going to talk about um, the Ask Me Anything um, questions we've been getting on Facebook and Twitter, including what our dream tickets would look in a presidential campaign. So first up in the pearls, start us off, Beth. I mean, a lot happened this past week. So um, I thought we should start with the Mitt Romney press conference. We alluded to it during our last episode, but it hadn't actually happened yet. So Mitt Romney came out just swinging against Donald Trump. It was well, not usually a stance Mitt Romney takes. Like. Well, that's about that's what I was about to say. It, there was like a lot of cognitive dissonance for yeah. me, in part because Trump had endorsed Mitt Romney in 2012. He had to know that right before that speech, everybody was going to play the endorsement mm-hmm. and Romney's glowing comments about Donald Trump. So I was really confused about why Romney didn't start off with, hey, y'all, I know that I said really nice things about Donald Trump four years ago. Here's why I said those things. Here's why I feel differently today. I mean, just leaving it open. I don't know. I thought that was a weird choice. Well, um, and because Mitt Romney, you know, because he was a governor of a New England state, like it's just not this sort of partisan I know he was the party's nominee but it's just not a, a, a tone I feel like he usually takes no there were some uh, zingers in it I guess maybe the Rubio team wrote some of this speech because it, it had that feel I, I don't know that I'm just speculating because it had that same feel I mean I thought the worst moment was toward the end when he said something about Trump is taking Americans for suckers and he's getting a free ride all the way to the White House and all we get are these lousy hats. I mean, it just did not sound like Mitt Romney at all. I also think that if you're trying to persuade people, insulting them is maybe not the best path. Overall, (laughs) this speech felt to me like it was reassurance to the all the journalists and conservative thinkers who are in this never trump movement that that we've tried everything we can you know we left it all on the court i don't think it did a thing for anybody who's outside of that little bubble i don't know i'm i i'm a little skeptical because i feel like trump didn't have the greatest super saturday now a lot of that could have been his abysmal performance <laughs> in the last debate. But I feel like it didn't help to have, or it didn't hurt, I guess, to have Mitt Romney kind of piling on top of that. I mean, I think you felt, I think there was this very sustained, concentrated effort to really persuade people like this is dangerous. And so while I don't think that you had people from Trump's dedicated, supporters who changed their mind. I do wonder how many people you had 
that felt like this would be an interesting experiment or that he was entertaining and who really got the message, y'all, this guy's dangerous. Do not think about this. I I mean, I I don't know. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, every exit poll from the beginning has indicated that people who decide late don't go with Trump. Mm -hmm. His support is really hard, firm support. But the people who are just deciding at the last minute seem to go elsewhere. I do think that the never Trump movement probably influenced a lot of people in the direction of Cruz uh, because there seems to be this sentiment and Cruz, I can't stand him, but he is doing a good job of saying to people, look, I'm the only person who's beaten Trump. Mm hmm. He's given that speech a lot. Now, it always bought, like, can I just be really honest with you and tell you that every time I hear him give that speech, I feel like he's about to say, and if you'll just accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come on forward to the altar. You know what I mean? It just has this evangelistic. He has such a preacher voice. Oh, I can't stand it. It, it, it just Listen, really you're not alone in me. church today. I was talking with a friend of mine who's a Republican, um, and I asked her if she caucus. She did, and they ran out of time. She didn't get over there. But... She said that, um, I said, well, Trump didn't win our county. And she was like, oh, great. I was like, but Ted Cruz didn't. She was like, oh, I hate his voice. He's so creepy. I always feel like he's trying to witness to me. So you're not, you're not alone. It's, it's bad. So I guess we should talk then about, well, okay, can we go in order? So Mitt Romney does his speech. Then Chris Christie has a press conference that was scheduled just a couple hours before it happened. And I I didn't know what to expect from the Chris Christie press conference. It was very bizarre. Did you see any of it, Sarah? No, I didn't. Basically, it was Chris Christie promising to act like the governor of New Jersey again and mm. kind of ridiculing anybody who has suggested that he's done otherwise. And semi-downplaying his support for Donald Trump. It was very weird. The tone of it, he was so indignant. It was much, it was the old Chris Christie, so it wasn't the, you know, sad bear that stood behind Donald Trump during the (laughs) um, Super Tuesday victory speech. I, I, I said on Twitter that it reminded me of how sometimes when my daughter Jane, who's five, uh, does something wrong, I'll start lecturing her as though she's an adult. Mm-hmm. And I do that. And like halfway into my lecture, I remember that she's five and I realize how ridiculous I'm being, but I can't really get out. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of just. You're too far in. I just keep going and I become a little bit more indignant as I go because I'm riding my own wave of of ridiculousness. That's, that's how I felt Chris Christie came across in this press conference. So you got Mitt Romney, then you have Chris Christie, and then you have the debate. Oh man. Oh man. It was so bad. It was was so so bad. bad for anyone who didn't watch or her for some reason lives under some sort of, in some sort of cave dwelling and hasn't seen, any of the write-ups it was really brutal they went after each other in a very ugly way and i felt like donald trump began to unravel he did a lot of name calling little marco lying ted 
And infamously, and I'm sure, I hope the history books eventually re- forget this moment, but I'm, I'm afraid they might not. He basically made a reference to the size of his penis. He said that um, Marco Rubio, and he has this thing about his hands. I've read so many stories about people say his hands are small and he just loses it over this. So he said something about, he taxed my hands. Look at these hands. He holds his hands up. There's nothing wrong with them. And you know what? I forgot the exact phrasing. Basically like, well, you know what? You know what they say about your hands? And there's no problem in that area either. I guarantee it. It was, and it was inside the first like 10 minutes of the debate. It was so disturbing. It's really hard to even talk about it. Oh man. I I saw somebody tweet that they said it was a Republican. And they said, my party is committing suicide on live television. And I thought... Yeah, that's pretty accurate. It's true. And so Sarah and I were watching the Democratic debate before we jumped to record this episode. And just the difference between the Democratic debate starting with a very serious discussion of the Flint water crisis mm-hmm. versus a discussion. And moving on, moving on to the gun control, which is an issue we keep bringing up on this podcast and the gun violence around the country. Yeah, it's just like. Shame on everybody. Shame on the moderators for letting that happen. Shame on the candidates for going there. And it repeatedly happened, despite Megyn Kelly basically having to act like everyone's mom at this debate. um, She kept doing this really great. No, I said on Twitter, I got it wrong. It wasn't, I kept saying she said, please hold, but it was standby. She kept saying, standby, standby. She she did really well, I think, at at not making it about her at all. I actually thought that Fox News and I don't say this often, did a really great job. They were ready to make Donald Trump look as inconsistent as he has been. And while I appreciate the nuanced view of people have a right to develop on these issues and people have a right to change, and I don't think that we should batter people over the head for developing on an issue, but he doesn't develop on an issue. He lies sometimes about issues, or at least that's certainly what it seems like. And they were ready. They had visuals they had graphics they were like "Uh uh-uh this is what you said and what about this and what i mean they were they were going after him hard they were and i just again i i feel like he has this base of support that uh takes any kind of attack on him and it just lights their fire you know Mm. so i i I, I'm just not sure that the numbers move much around him anymore. I well, think what the did you question... think about Super Saturday, though? Don't don't you feel like I don't feel like he had a great day? I don't feel like he had a great day either. I think my question is whether the thirty-ish percent gets him to the nomination or doesn't. But mm-hmm. I don't think he grows or shrinks. Right. Oh, there's. Oh, that's such a. You set it up so easy for a penis joke there, but I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Uh, it hurts. See, it hurts me to even have to think about penis jokes in the context of talking no, politics. Do. It's disgusting. That one was really easy. Uh, <laughs> <sighs> oh man, it was. Br- it was. Dis- it really was. I mean, I know Nicholas is going to insert a groan track. <laughs> I mean, it was. It really was sort of just unbelievable to watch. It, it was. It was. And I think the the real thing to say about Super Saturday, because I do think the Trump support is pretty locked in. I think the Rubio support is, is not. Mm-hmm. And he 
went down with him. I mean, yeah. I, I was having an exchange on Facebook with one of our listeners and, and said, I think that what we're seeing is something like the opposite of a rising tide lifts all boats. I think Donald Trump is an anchor that will sink everybody with him. Um, because Rubio engaging in these attacks with him, I think, severely diminished him. That was a gift to Ted Cruz. What it reminds me of is that uh, Southern Baptist Youth Camp, which I used to go to in my um, far, far behind me days as a teenager. And we would you would get on a chair and you would say, OK, so try to pull either try to pull that person up on the chair or let that person pull you down. And it was much easier for the person to pull you down to their level, obviously, than it was for you to pull the person back up on the chair. And that was sort of like the lesson about the company you keep. I feel like Marco Rubio needs that lesson. It's not, I mean, I feel like a lot, didn't he learn what happened with Chris Christie? It's like a murder-suicide. Like your attacks might land, but it hurts you so much in the, in the interim. And we should point out that Kasich... I hope will benefit from the fact that he didn't engage in any of that. Mm-mm. He he just continues, I think, to seem like the statesman on the stage. Now, it is breathtaking to me that we're in a climate where Kasich is viewed as a moderate. Yeah, because seriously. Kasich is not a moderate. <laughs> no. You know, he is he is a very very conservative governor. But I do appreciate his his civility and his attempt to be a positive candidate in an otherwise very ugly field. It just, mm-hmm. it breaks my heart how ugly this is. Right. Right. It really, it's not good for anybody. And again, I still feel like even among the sort of the democratic circles where people are, are sort of safe spaces where Democrats speak freely, I just feel like everybody's like, this is so ugly. Please stop. Like we're not looking for no, you know, competition or no real opponent from the Republican side, like everybody welcomes a debate in the right context. And I think, you know, you see this in among our community, every, you know, in the right context, a real debate moves the discussion forward and moves our country forward. But we can't have that if that's what's coming from the other side, you know? I agree 100%. So to recap Super Saturday, Cruz won Kansas and Maine. Trump won in Kentucky, which makes us both a little bit sad. Although he did not win my county. feel like I need to say that. He didn't win my county either. So just let that be known. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Trump also won in Louisiana. Rubio won Puerto Rico, which was held on Sunday, today that we're recording. Um, On the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton won Louisiana by a lot, another giant margin. Um, Bernie Sanders very handily took Nebraska, Kansas, and um, looks like he's going to take Maine today, right? Yeah, they just called it. Yeah, so um, delegate count, Hillary Clinton sits at 1129, Bernie Sanders at 498. I'm not sure if that number includes Maine. I would guess it does not. Um, Republicans, Trump is at 384, Ted Cruz is at 300, Rubio 151, Kasich at 37. So still a real plurality on the Republican Mm -hmm. side. And the March 15th races are going to be very important and very telling. Yeah. Well, and we should say, obviously, that I think that total includes superdelegates, which, as we've talked about before, can switch sides and they're not committed. But I think with regards to the the Democratic side, I believe and I believe that 
her margin is a little bit wider than Obama's was in 2008 at this point. And the problem, I think, for Bernie, math-wise, is just it's going to be hard to overtake her at this point because he he doesn't need to be winning these. He needs to be winning these by quite a margin because they're proportional. And so he needs to start racking up a little bit. He doesn't need to be close, right? He doesn't need just a few more delegates than her. He needs quite a bit in every state. So we'll see going forward, but I, I think that um, he needs to rack up quite a, a big, bigger margins in if he's going to win any of the future states coming forward. I think it's interesting. I've heard a lot of people say over the past few days, I don't ever want to waste my vote. You mm-hmm. know, they'll say, well, I would vote for so-and-so, but I don't want to waste my vote. Can I just say that I don't believe that's a thing? <laughs> I I don't. I don't understand. If everyone who has said to me, well, I didn't vote for Kasich because I didn't want to waste my vote. I don't think he has a chance. If they had voted for Kasich, he would have gotten more delegates. Yeah. Especially in these proportional representation situations. Mm -hmm. It is a thing to cast your vote and you should do that. And and I just hope no one out there is staying home because they think Bernie can't go forward. Yeah. You should vote and and you should vote for the person who you think is the right person. Well, and even if he doesn't get the nomination, it just makes him a more powerful player. Like he still absolutely does. It keeps her working hard. Yeah, it keeps her working hard. It keeps him. If these are, if he talks about things that are important to you, then the best way to keep him talking is to vote for him. Yeah, you should keep voting. You should keep donating money if that's your thing. I, I just don't think anybody should give up, and I also don't think that you should be told. And and you know the Republican establishment, I think, is walking a really thin line, and even alienating people like me here. By saying, well, maybe you should vote for Ted Cruz now because he's the best opposition to Trump. Before that, it was you should definitely vote for for Marco Rubio. He's the future of the party. I'm sorry. Like, I'll decide who's the future of the party from my perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just think it's important to go out and vote for someone, not against someone else. Yeah. And to know that your vote has weight, even if it doesn't go to someone who actually wins. To your point, I mean, I may end up voting third party in the election coming up. I don't think that the libertarian candidate is going to be the president, but I think that it sends a strong message to see votes rack up for that Mm -hmm. third party. And that's important to me. So just a little soapbox moment on uh, votes are never wasted. Agreed. I mean, I think that for me, I don't know if I, f- I fully, I'm not a hundred percent on that. I, I take a more nuanced position. Like I would do it if I lived in Ohio and it was close, I would, and it was the general, I would feel differently about it in a primary where you have delegates and it's a very different situation with the math. Um, I think it's, it makes a statement to keep a voting for somebody who you, who you don't see that has a path forward to the nomination In the general though, the stakes are a little bit higher. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, before we move on, uh, we have to take a second and compliment people from the other side. So, yeah, because we forgot to do it last week. We're sorry. We are sorry. I feel like that's a very important feature of our show, so we're going to work harder at keeping that on our radar. Do you want to go first, Sarah? Um, yes, I am going to compliment. Well, I'll I'll do specifically. No, actually, I'm changing my mind. I'm going to do the whole moderator team from the Fox News debate, and really. If someone had told me that I'd be sitting on a podcast complimenting the Fox News team, hmm, I would not have put money on that. But I did. I thought they did a really 
Good job. They were smart in the way they answered it. And they really did do their best to control an uncontrollable situation. Not like Wolf Blitzer, who just let them run wild about the one before that. So I I thought that um, they did a great job of being prepared, answering the questions in a smart way, um, keeping control, and really driving the conversation, you know, for better or for worse, whether you agree that a debate moderator should be driving the conversation towards this very um, Trump attack um, line. They did do that, and I thought they did a really good job. So my person that I want to compliment is the mayor of Flint, Karen Weaver. Mm. I have seen her interviewed a number of times now, and this woman is pouring her heart and soul into her city. Mm-hmm. And I, it just like reaches out through the television screen and grabs me how hard she's working, how passionate she is, how I think she views this um, in full context, right? She's, she's not, um, she does not seem to lack nuance in her perspective on what caused this crisis, what is necessary to get out of it. And more importantly, what's necessary to ensure that nothing like this happens to her city again. So I just have huge admiration for her. You know, what a thing to be taking on. Oh, I cannot even imagine. I can't either. And she doesn't seem to have any, she doesn't shrink back at all. You know, so just so much admiration for Karen Weaver. So that wraps up the pearls. Moving on to the suit, we're going to talk about Beth's new political party that she's forming. Okay, maybe she's not officially forming it, but we're gonna, we're going to do some brainstorming in the suit coming up next. about a bunch of different topics for today and they all just felt really negative to me (laughs) which I guess says something about my mental state and connection with this race at this point but in our last episode Sarah mentioned that I should form my own party and we got uh, um, some reaction to that which was very generous and I appreciate it from everybody but you know what it got me thinking about is what would a third party look like I don't like a true viable third party, you know, so we have the libertarian party out there. We have the green party and I don't mean to be dismissive of either of those. I think they don't get a lot of traction because it's almost like, well, let's take some very extreme positions in both parties and um, step on the gas with, with the um, extreme elements of those positions. I feel like a viable third party is going to have to be more moderate I I just don't understand. So when I hear people talking about a constitution party coming out of this cycle, if Donald Trump wins the Republican nomination, that seems like such a fantasy to me. Who's going to vote for that? If if the base of the Republican Party can't win the Republican nomination and splits off from the Republican Party to run another candidate, how do they think they're going to win? No Democrats are going to vote for the constitution party. Am I wrong about that? No, I mean that's it's it's crazy. It's a it's a it seems to me that it is that is a strategy of an egomaniac that does not always accept reality, which sounds just like Donald Trump actually to me. Have, now, have you ever heard of the Coffee Party? No, I don't think that they, I don't know if they're an official party, but they formed um, after 
the sort of the Tea Party came to rise. And so, like, I'm looking at their Facebook page right now. We'll link in the show notes. And their cover, they have a civility pledge. As a member or supporter of the coffee party, I pledge to conduct myself in a way that is civil, honest, respectful towards people with whom I disagree. I value people from different cultures. I value people with different ideas. And I value and cherish the democratic process. They have almost a million likes on Facebook. I remember when they first sort of came out um, right around when the Tea Party was forming and thought, oh, this is so great. I hope this goes somewhere. And I think they've had some coffee party conventions. Like, it, it, there's a little bit of a... A movement. I don't. I mean, I think that they are more more Democrat and more more liberal wing of the party. And they're they seem to be sort of they try to be a civil answer to the Tea Party. But I think that um, they're they have it's a very different sort of movement than the Libertarian or the Green Party. It's not the sort of single issue thing. Although I guess civility could be sort of a single issue frame through which to look through this. But I think they that's something that definitely appeals to people for sure. There's a lot that I like about that. Um, so I started imagining what could a more consensus platform look like? And I thought I would throw some things out. I'm going to go ahead and call this my crazy moderate party um, and see if you agree with sort of where I would take this. So so if I were running for president, this would be my platform. Thing number one would be realigning government. And what I mean by this is I would want to get together a group of thinkers from both the public and private sectors because I want to recognize that business leadership has a different motive ultimately than civil service um, and that both things, people in both arenas can learn from each other, right? So combination of people who've done government work for their entire lives Um, and people from the private sector to study our administrative agencies. And the goal would not be to decide, like, what services to eliminate. The initial goal would be, like, let's have Are you going to put our tax returns on a postcard? Start there. I'm not. I want to (laughs) slam... I I just want to break my television every time Ted Cruz says that. I can't. It's just not true, you know? So stop. (laughs) But let's start with the premise with with my little realignment commission. Let's start with the premise that government's going to continue doing every single thing it does today. And the question is just how can we do it better? Okay. How can we do it with less waste? How can we do it with more efficiency? How can we do it in a modern way? How can we increase the customer service around it? Let's just do government better. And I have a feeling that if a holistic commission started looking at every administrative agency and that's going to take years, right? That's a long play. I think we would save a ton of money and still be able to do everything we're doing today. Now, have I, have I, we talked about the AB testing thing that they wrote about in the New York times? Yeah. Yeah, Say something like that. I think if you just took that sort of global across the administrative agency, there was, we'll link to this in the show notes. There was a really great New York times article um, where the Obama administration has put sort of like A-B testing, which is, if you're familiar with the tech world at all, which is what they do at Google and Facebook and, you know, MailChimp opens that up to all their users. You can send basically two, you can try out two different versions of whatever you're testing, be it an email or 
a software program or whatever and see which one has the better results. And then you, you use a little, you sort of take a little sample, which one does better, A or B, and then you move forward with that one. And they've been trying to take that approach to government as little of things as like they had a pop-up screen to remind people, do you want to print two-sided? Well, if you do that at the Office of Management and Budget and it works and people click it, you know, 20% more, that's like $2 million worth of paper. You know, like it adds up really quick. And so it was like, where are these little behavioral modification tweaks that we can take in government that seem small, but when you add them up across the federal government, they really start to make a difference. So that would be aspect number one of my platform. Number two would be infrastructure. I mean, everybody agrees on this. Why is this such a hard one? Although, remember, they did get that. Remember, we talked about this in one of the very first episodes. It was like a small piece of good news. They got the transportation bill. It was like the one of the few things Congress has passed recently because, geez, if we can't agree on that, I don't know. Well, and so I would want to work on infrastructure in a super comprehensive way. So I think the first thing I would want to do as president is get all the governors together to talk about what the priorities are by state, what the local resources available to deal with those issues are, and then how we deploy federal resources, how we work with public and private partnerships. You know, I would want to really work on this because the truth is, Our infrastructure is too important and now too outdated for us to be like crossing our fingers and hoping that Congress can pass some bills to spend money on it, you know? So I would want to really, really focus on infrastructure. Thing number three would be a a very clear focus on education and how we're going to spend our education dollars. And I would want to free up more control to the states. I would want to work really hard with the states on looking at school choice issues. I'm not advocating for those. I would want to talk about what's happening in each state. And I would want to, as as the moderate party uh, candidate for president, <laughs> sort of publish um, a, a travel agenda of the school districts through the, throughout the United States that I pledged to attend throughout my term. I just think there ought to constantly be an eye on how are our schools doing? How are parents feeling about those schools? How are teachers feeling? How are administrators feeling? How are students feeling? I would want to host like a national education contest where people submit like a two paragraph idea, right? What's my best idea for school systems? And just keep the conversation going. That doesn't mean that the federal government seizes control of education, right? I think a big thing that I'd like to see is more leadership from the White House without necessarily translating that leadership into some kind of congressional action. So education is the next thing for me. And then um, debt repayment, because I think that's important and it affects everyone. And again, that's the last priority, not the first, but that's my domestic agenda, Sarah. What do you think? (laughs) I think it sounds really great. Um, I think it sounds you know, there's nothing in there I'm opposed to. I just, I think that the problem with any, you know, discussion of a third party or a crazy moderate party is just how are we going to get everybody on board with this? And I mean, everybody, I mean, Congress. (laughs) I don't think you'll have any problem getting the voters on board. Although, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I mean, that's my thing is, you know, I guess the problem with, 
I wonder if with the, if the problem with the moderate party is if you come in with a moderate agenda, by the time it goes through the sausage making process, I mean, why, maybe that's why you start with a partisan agenda. So by the time it gets through the, you know, the sausage machine, it comes out of something moderate. And if you start at something moderate, what happens at the end? Well, I think that's a really good point. And to the point about Congress, I think the voters would have to speak in a moderate way, loud and clear, for a very long time Mm -hmm. for Congress to believe that that would make its way to the, you know, down the ballot. Right. Because so much of getting elected is about your organization and just who shows up. And until people show up in the volumes that they're showing up for presidential races all the way down the ticket, I mean, it's 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 hard. And I understand people, you know, play to their bases. I was interacting with a friend of mine from high school on Facebook today, and he is very much like exactly what you would think of as the Republican base voter. He's very educated. He's very engaged. You know, I can picture him watching Fox News. I'm not sure if he does. Don't be mad, Rory, if you don't. Um but he has he has a very well thought out position on every issue, and it is like a very very red position, <laughs> you know. And, <laughs> um, and and you know, so I am super liberal by comparison. And when I think about that, I understand his frustration because everyone he votes for promises exactly what he's asking. You know, they promise it all. Mitch McConnell is a prime example of that. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm talking to you and points at my friend and says, I'm going to do exactly what you want. And then he goes off to Washington and, and absolutely none of it happens. Right. I understand feeling ripped off by that. I guess, and it's, you know, what I said to him today is, look, my problem is that I think they promise absurdity and then deliver incompetence. And that's yeah. kind of my issue with the Republican leadership right now. But but I can see how, how Democrats would feel the same way. You you get spoken to as, as a base voter, and you don't get much in return. And so I don't know how you mobilize the people who are most engaged today around a moderate agenda. Right. The only thing that I could see that might mobilize them is just the honesty about it. Look, I'm not promising you things that I'm never going to be able to make happen. I'm promising you things that I think we actually could get done and that would serve everybody. And then I think elections become less about these polarized positions and more about the character and integrity of people going to serve. Uh, Boy, that wouldn't be a bad thing. Well, and here's what I, when I started thinking about this topic, I mean, the first thing I sort of wanted to say was, I well, I think Beth should start a more moderate wing of the Republican Party. I don't feel a crazy hunger for a moderate party because I don't feel left behind by my party. Um, I don't look at what's happening on the Democratic side, even though, you know, I support one candidate and not the other and feel terrified or embarrassed or scared or anything about the other candidates. I just, you know, I don't. I don't. And I'm not supporting Bernie Sanders, but if Bernie Sanders was my candidate, I'd be thrilled. That'd be great. Let's do it. So... But what I was thinking about a lot, I was thinking about, so I don't feel left behind by my party, but with regards to the current polarization, I just wonder if both sides are so, I don't know if entrenched is the word I want, but sort of, you know, stereotyped by the other side. Like, I just don't, I don't know if there is a future in which we can 
all agree that not every liberal wants to tax into oblivion and set up social, you know, these social welfare systems for everyone, and not every Republican wants to. You know, I don't know if there's a way forward in which each side is not a bad word to the other side, I guess. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. And when I was listening to a really great episode of Vox on the their podcast, The Weeds, and they were talking about sort of the campaign finance reform and as if you fix this, does this fix the, the problems within our political system? And their argument was not really because you have this winner-take-all system and with regards especially to the presidency. And if you you have that, you don't leave space for the other side to kind of play along because they have to double down and, or at least in, 
that's the way our current system is functioning. And, you know, it just kind of leaves me in this quandary of is there's got to be a way. Do we have to scrap both sides? I don't really, you know, again, I don't feel abandoned in my party. I don't want to be, I don't want to scrap the Democratic Party. But, like, is there a way forward in which we can acknowledge, like, even your friend who's red and he votes for Mitch McConnell, like, doesn't he acknowledge that Mitch McConnell represents other people? I acknowledge that. Like, I acknowledge that there are people, you know, obviously that people who represent me in Kentucky represent a lot more people that feel differently about issues than I do. But, like, I don't know. I I don't know where the where the answer is. It just it makes me sad that it does have to be so polarized that there isn't a way forward for moderate candidates on each side to kind of say, look, we don't have to. This isn't a war against each other. We're on the same team. I guess sort of the the overarching me- message of pansu politics. I don't know if a third party is the answer to that. Although it is sure it sure does sound like a nice idea. Well, because there's not. I I hear all of that. There is not space for me in the Democratic Party. Right. You know, I watched the candidates and and honestly, the better, especially Hillary Clinton, the better Hillary Clinton gets at articulating her message, the more I'm like, oh, I cannot get right with that. The Wall Street bashing really bothers me. I understand how unpopular Wall Street is and that. But but that's what makes it seem so politically expedient to me, because I think Bernie Sanders genuinely believes what he's saying. Hillary Clinton knows very well that we need a functioning financial system in this country. Um, yeah. That that can mean a lot of different things. But but come on. And I, I, I was just watching the debate thinking, OK, a few moments ago before everyone was coming down hard on Wall Street and not just Wall Street, but big business of any sort. Hillary Clinton, I've heard her talk about Johnson Controls several times now. A few minutes ago, we were both talking about making sure that big business stays in Michigan so that people have more jobs, more industrial yeah. jobs. So where's the balance in all of that? And and this gets to, and we've now promised to do an, an episode on this topic, but globalization and trade agreements, I mean, these are not simple issues. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like the Democratic base pulls the candidates so far to the left in the primary process that they start talking about these things in just really unrealistic terms and terms that don't appeal to me at all as someone who ultimately cares about the American economy being a place where everyone has an opportunity to work and grow in their work and and ultimately kind of change their economic status in life. Right. No, I agree. I think that um, they were sort of doing a who can out. I keep I keep thinking about John Favreau's article or it's quote about the difference between Bernie and Obama and that Obama had this line in the speech about, you know, we're going to we're going to sit down at the table and the insurance companies can't own the table. But the implication was that they could sit at the table, whereas Bernie is like, nope, they can't sit. At, they're not coming to the table at all. And I don't I mean, I don't agree with that. I do think that. The idea that it's a very weird position for me to be considering some of my, you know, past feelings on issues to feel like I'm having to defend corporate America and say, like, they're still a part of our economy. They're still a part. They still employ 
people. They still have, you know, not all corporations are evil. There are some corporations doing really great things. I think Facebook's a good example. I think Google's a good example. So it's a really weird position to be in to feel like you're sticking up for corporate America. But I do agree that, you know, they're not the enemy. I think that, you know, sometimes I say with regards to, I feel like in a, in discussions with some of the more um, hardcore Republican friends of mine, it's this conversation of like, Poor people, poor people exploiting the system are the problem, and me saying no, it's rich people exploiting the system that are the problem in these very polarized positions. When the paradox is true, but you know, both things can be the problem. Both things can be something we want to address. And I think, with regards to, you know, probably why I find space within the Democratic Party for myself is I, I feel a lot less sorry for people with resources to stick up for themselves. Um, like I feel like no matter what the rhetoric coming out of Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton during the primary debates, and no matter if she wins, um, and she feels like she has this mandate to make every liberal dream come true, Wall Street's going to be just fine. Like, I'm not worried about them. They're good. Like, they're going to be fine. Uh, they'll stick up for themselves. They'll have lobbyists. They have resources. Like, they're not going anywhere. So I guess that's probably why I'm like, I understand, like, I don't enjoy the rhetoric that much, but I'm, I'm also think the reality is that I don't really think they're in big trouble, I guess. is probably my thing. Well, I want to go to your paradox point and say both of those things can be true. Also, neither of them might be true. Like, yeah. I don't, I do not, as a Republican, believe that poor people are trying to exploit the system. Mm-hmm. I think the system fails poor people. And in doing so fails everyone. But I don't think they're trying to exploit the system. And I don't think it's necessarily there are certainly um, well, I should say there are certainly bad actors of all socioeconomic class. Right. Right. Well, what I say is there's no system invented that somebody can exploit. Like if we're waiting around for a perfect system, no one's ever going to take advantage of. We're going to be waiting a long time. That's true. But I also don't have a problem with people using legal measures to protect assets from our tax code. I mean, that's just that's part of the tax code. It's it was written that way. It incentivizes you to do certain things, you know, to protect your assets. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't have a huge problem with special interests because the fact is we can't all pay attention to every issue to the level that we need to pay attention to it, to hold our representatives accountable and to advance good ideas. I mean, there are lobbyists out there doing good work, making things happen that would not happen otherwise. So, hey, I've lobbied. I've been a lobbyist. I've got, we've all gone in our little lobby days and lobbied our government for things we want. That's the thing. There's no nuance when you just, with one broad brush, right. paint everyone as a, as a, um, practically a criminal, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, anyway, I think that we're, you know, taking a lot of detours to say parties are super polarized. Even if you're happy with one or the other, it's hard to see how we move out of those polarizing positions. And could a third party made up of a more consensus platform get us there? I don't know. I do think we have to like touch on before we move on foreign policy, because this is certainly a driver of that polarization. Yeah, absolutely. I really struggle with articulating um, what the crazy moderate foreign policy philosophy would be because I think that's what's lacking right now a coherent foreign policy philosophy I think 
You want me to tell you what I really think? I think it's Barack Obama's foreign policy. I think he's got the crazy moderate policy and it's not easy to articulate and it doesn't, it makes everybody really uncomfortable because it's not quote unquote strong and, you know, I don't want to say it's not strong. That's not what I meant. But I mean, I think that's it. Let's careful. Let's be careful. Let's think, plan three times before you take a single step and all that kind of you know, the careful triangulation of all his foreign policy, because there's no, there's no, there's no easy for, there is no, I mean, to me, it's just even talking about it in the way of the foreign policy. There's no foreign policy. There's a policy for Libya. There's a policy for Syria. There's a policy for, you know, everything. And there's one now and there's one five years and it could change in a minute. What I think is problematic about that, people need to understand When we're sending Americans overseas, people need to understand why. They Mm. just do. And they don't right now. And they haven't for a long time. That's not just Barack Obama, to be fair. Right? right? That is not a Republican or a Democratic creation. Um, That's just the world we live in right now. That's the world we live in. But I think we have to do better. I mean, I I think in, in some way we have to say, look, America gets involved when American lives or human dignity on a global scale are at risk. Something like that, you know, that's not perfect. Mm-hmm. But I, I I do care. We, we had a, a nice ex- email exchange with someone about Syria. I do think there's a place for America to intervene in a Syrian civil war when chemical weapons are being used against people. I do. We, you know, hey, we had a blog this. exchange about this. We'll link it in the show notes. You and I had a back and forth about this on my blog before we started the podcast. And we and we did an episode on this. You know, that that I think the red line was the right red line. And when it was crossed, I would have intervened there. So I'm not an isolationist at all. And I'm also not a person who thinks that we only get involved when there's a risk of somebody coming onto our soil to harm us. I think we do have a broader role to play in the world than that. I think we have got to get out of the business, though, of like arming so many groups in the Middle East that sometimes both sides are using weapons that we've provided. You know, we've got to be more coherent than that. I think that the crazy moderate position that it's very difficult to take, but I think is the is is the 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 smart moderate path forward was with regards to terrorism, which is not reacting in an aggressive way every time, you know, sort of in San Bernardino when we feel like there's a tie to terrorism. I think that we have to be very smart and acknowledge that those attacks aren't really meant to to undermine American security, but they're meant to scare us into doing something that would truly undermine American security. And I think that's the really difficult political position to stake out with regards to attacks like that, especially if they begin to increase. Because people want to, you know, not people, some people want to do, you know, go full Donald Trump and blow shit up. I don't think we ought to ever put American lives at risk for the purpose of vengeance. Yeah. Yeah. If we can make our country more secure, we should do that. But I don't think that we ought to be sacrificing, you know, precious humans um, to, to, drive home a point. I, ju- I just don't. Right. 
That's no, a, I, that's hard. Angry. That's hard. That's really that's why hard. I got told I hated America on the streets of Washington D.C. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, summer of two thousand two. Well, and look, there's a fine line to walk there because sometimes uh, making that point does increase your security. But I think that ought to be the calculation. Does this right. make us safer or less so? And mm-hmm. that's more important than just um, you will now suffer too. Right. It and just, it's hard. It's so hard because how do you say that as a leader? How do you look an American people in the face that, or particularly like the families of people that were lost and say, we're going to take, we're going to stay still and stay calm and not react to this. I mean, that would be such an incredibly difficult position to take. It would be so difficult, but I think that you follow everything with because, Mm-hmm. Because my belief is that reacting in this way puts Americans in jeopardy without a corresponding increase in the country's overall safety. I think. Well, and you could do because I don't want. I don't want you. I don't want these lives to cost more lives. That does not serve the memories of those lost to send more people into date more, you know, American soldiers or other Americans into dangerous situations in which we are no, we are not benefited and our security is not increased. I know you don't want that and I don't want that and I don't want their lives to cost more lives. So I think the next question that we're going to get from people who totally disagree with us about this is, well, what about crime then? Like, do you just let criminals go because you don't believe in vengeance? Yeah, that's not, um, (laughs) <laughs> I don't believe in vengeance, and I don't believe that that's the purpose of our criminal justice system. So, yes, <laughs> I guess that would be my response. I don't think that that serves anything, and I don't think that's the point. I think that justice and vengeance are two totally different things. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I mean, I just had this conversation about Donald Trump, too. Like, so so my friend Rory, who I was talking about earlier, who's who's very conservative, I I think it's fair to characterize, to kind of summarize his position as, look, Republicans have let me down. They have betrayed the base on every issue. So we're going to punish them by trying Donald Trump out. And I said, you know, isn't the presidency too important to be, um, isn't it too important to cast your vote based on vengeance? And... And he and someone else who I really respect chimed in and kind of said, well, you know, yes, but I think some people see that as the only way. And and I guess, mm. I, you know, my foreign policy position would be that we're, we're just not going to act on vengeance. I think that's how I would approach the criminal justice system as well. I, it's just I, I don't know what that serves. No. Well, and maybe the discussion about a crazy moderate third party is just a plea for moderation in general. The idea that we act, uh, the base is the only thing that matters is how we got here. And if you're a member of the base and you say things like, I would never vote. I mean, like we have a, a candidate, a democratic candidate, and this is a very conservative area. He is so smart. He is so energetic. He is so, you know, just a passion for this area. And he just knocks on people's doors. And his opponent is, you know, it's not a strong opponent. This is not a guy advocating for this area. And he knocks on doors and people just say, sorry, I don't vote Democratic. What? You're not even going to hear him? You're not even going to listen to him? You're not going to see, give him a chance? Just no, done. I don't vote Democratic. Like that bothers me so 
much. I just hate it. It's almost like I wish we could do, you know, like my race at City Commission is just nonpartisan. Like there's no R's or D's after the name. So let's just, maybe the, the, the answer is not like we keep the party system, but we just take it off the ballot. I mean, if you know enough to figure out, if you know enough to know what party they are and you feel like it matters enough to you, that's fine. But just so we can acknowledge that that's not the only information you need about somebody. It's just the theme we keep hammering at, right? Just more right. engagement. People have to pay attention. It, the party system has made it easy and awful. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Historically, maybe it did need to be easier. Because in 1900, you didn't have Google to look up everything that person had ever said. And is that always a good thing? No, of course not. But... You know, like, we have other ways now. We don't need people, we don't need these shortcuts. We don't need the party system to tell us who to vote for anymore. We don't, because it's really, it's just simplified things and um, polarized things in such a negative way. Like, let's just leave a little space for us all to figure out how we feel. And if the party system were less influential, I wonder how it would influence media coverage. Because right now, you know, media coverage around John Kasich really frustrates me. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I think the Bernie people are definitely frustrated by the media coverage. And they should be. I, I So I, I wonder if you didn't have the uh, Democratic National Committee so obviously kind of propelling Hillary Clinton forward, if you didn't have Republican elites circling around Marco Rubio and then more reluctantly toward Ted Cruz, what what would the coverage be like if you had a more informed populace and and less exertion of will of the parties? Wouldn't that be a good thing overall? Yeah, because, I mean, obviously this is just a thought experiment. Like, it's easy to sit and hypothesize a moderate platform. It would be very difficult to get the funding to do anything like that. To, it, it would be hard to marshal enthusiasm because I, I said this in the letter that I sent to all of our followers after the last debate, you know, I, I think we're here because moderates sit it out. Usually Mm -hmm. moderates say, well, I am sure it'll work itself out. Samantha B had a really great kind of rift on this in her um, episode on the, the abortion laws before the Supreme court. And she basically said like, you guys show up for the presidential because these issues matter on both sides, pro-choice and pro-life people um, show up. But it's too late. Those people don't have any control of it. You're sitting out midterm election when these state senators are sweeping in and passing these laws. So if this stuff matters to you, pay attention in the midterm because this is when a lot of stuff changes. And I think that when you're just saying that about the Democratic you know, Party and really what we have both said is that the ideas, particularly around the debate structure, has just harmed the party generally because they're such great debates and they're burying them. It's not just that they were, you know, I don't know what they the motivation was or what they were thinking, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. But it's just harming the party. And I think with, you know, I thought this a lot when I was reading Kristen Soltis Anderson's book as well for both sides. You know, millennials aren't all about one party or the other. You know, both parties' roles are sort of dropping. And I think what you really have here with regards to the the two-party system is not the only system, I think, currently in our country that I use this phrase a lot. You need to adapt or die. 
like the music industry. Adapt or die. Stop, you know, stop pouting because people are using technology to get music. Adapt to the new system or get out of the way. Also, I talk about about this with SeaWorld. SeaWorld, it's over for you. Figure out another way to make money because that's not working anymore. Like adapt or die. And I think that that maybe be that might be particularly where the Republican Party is, but maybe the party system at all. Like adapt to the new reality. Adapt to the fact that you know people don't want. They want authenticity. They want you know to be spoken to in a different way. They want the part the system itself to function in a different way. Or you know, suffer the consequences. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. 
Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's substantive adaptation that has to happen there, too, because if the Republican Party says, oh, we're going to adapt, so that means we're going to better use technology and social media and we're going to, you know, basically message differently, but you're still selling a platform that is um, not inclusive, you know, <laughs> doesn't appeal to a broad audience. And, and it doesn't have to be inauthentic, but like you have to do a better job articulating why conservative principles lift people out of poverty, why conservative principles create a, a more diverse and inclusive society. You know, we're not connecting any of those dots today. Well, and I think, honestly, when we talk about Beth's crazy moderate party, that's the Republican Party's path forward. But they are so terrified of losing the base who wants to talk about gay marriage and abortion. Illegal immigration. And illegal immigration. There's like a death grip on it. Well, we can't give that up because we're losing numbers anyway, so we have to keep feeding this base and there's no acknowledgement that doubling down on this strategy is not working. It's not working. Like I guess that autopsy or the post the, you know, the one after the last election was supposed to get to that, but it just seems like you can't just, like you just said, like you're, you're so scared and you're so scared of losing more votes that you can't see the bigger picture of losing the party overall. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's delusional. I saw a Twitter exchange today between Matthew Dowd, who's on um, ABC as a commentator, and Sean Spicer, who I think is maybe the national press secretary for the RNC. And and Dowd says something like, I was just reflecting on that autopsy and how we just completely – it was all about process, not about substance, basically – and Spicer says, uh, maybe you should have read the whole thing because obviously it's working. The turnout this year for the presidential race has been oh amazing. Oh, my gosh. And Dowd was like, if you think that this stuff is why the turnout is what it is, you're oh delusional. My gosh. And I mean, you should check out their feeds. It was a really fascinating back and forth. But I did think, like, stop selling. At some point, don't you just say, whoa. Like, we've got kind of a situation on our hands here. And, you know, as an RNC, we need to do something about it. I don't I don't know. It's very well, discouraging. Let me just say this, too. And I think this is probably my aha moment. In, a, in my perfect world, this is not a third party. In my perfect world, what happens is people like Beth in the Republican Party say, our articulation of what we stand for with regard, like when you said what I was thinking back to when you were talking when we both did our, why are we who we are? And basically mine was civil rights and yours was better, smaller, more responsive government. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Those both things are great. Mm, FYI. And both parties have a problem with articulating that view. So in a beautiful, crazy, moderate path forward world, Beth gets a hold of the Republican party and says, we are terrible at this civil rights aspect. We're not being inclusive this is not working and it's also ugly and wrong so stop you stop i'm in charge now you guys stop this so let's really articulate this really great vision we have for responsive government and all all those beautiful things you said 
Perfect. That's the Republican path forward. And so I said, I get control of the Democratic Party. I'm loving this analogy or this this universe that we're creating here. So I get control and I say, we've done really good with civil rights. And look, we've done so good, we've convinced them. And so listen, we're terrible. When I was thinking about uh, our discussion about why we are who we are, and I thought, wow, that's just so interesting. And that's such a problem for Democrats that I didn't really, like, we're so, you know, ingrained and entrenched in this these ideas of protecting civil rights which rightly so that's something massively important but that we don't really do a good job of articulating what what government's role is as as democrats what does that mean for us and so then we look at this really great awesome new republican party run by beth and we say okay you guys are really good at that now what can we learn from you and look oh look we're all getting along and fixing everything see this is a really great universe i've just created it is good because the because then the parties stay in balance which i think yeah. is the intention yes it's not that you have these sweeping majorities here or there you know that just you're trying to elect the best people yeah and the people who most closely mirror your values but you're not terrified if those people lose exactly we can still move forward okay, and then well, if problem we're not solved well y'all congratulations y'all this is our, this is our last episode we fixed it <laughs> <laughs> it only took us 21 episodes <sighs> well since our world um is not gonna happen tomorrow Uh, We'll move on to the heels and answer one of the questions that we got on Ask Me Anything, which was, who would be our dream tickets, all things existing as they are today? So I think we should continue the ask me anything. So our first pitch for this section of the heels is we'll keep, we'll keep taking those if you guys want to keep asking them. But somebody asked us who our dream tickets were. So I'll let you start, Beth. Who's your dream ticket? Well, I think we all know who your dream ticket is, but go ahead. There's no suspense (laughs) with me. So obviously John Huntsman is my dream candidate and it breaks my heart that he couldn't break through in 2012 and didn't run in this cycle. Um, so I would love to see John Huntsman at the top of the ticket for a lot of reasons, um, which so I'm actually talked about surprised. Before. I thought you were going to say Paul Ryan. No, I like Paul Ryan a lot, but I don't like him as much as John Huntsman. And and I really value that John Huntsman served as an ambassador to China. That means a lot to me. Yeah, I, I think especially as we're confronting these issues of globalization and trade. Um, it's important to have someone who has invested in another culture, who speaks that culture's language. You know, I mean, it just there's so much to say about his understanding of the Chinese government, the Chinese people. So so I value that a lot. And also he he is more moderate than a Paul Ryan is. And so mm-hmm. just r- really reflects where I am on the issues. So top of the ticket, John Huntsman. You know, the the VP spot, I would really like to see someone who brings a different perspective. So. My choice is problematic in that way, but also, I think, a strong one. I, I think I would go with Mia Love, Ooh. who is in Congress right now. I, she is pushing a bill uh, to require bills to be single issue. So Ooh. instead of these omnibus, you know, hide and bury things where you just you have a separate bill for everything that you want to do. Like that's pragmatic. I like that a lot, um, and and I and I get that people who've spent their careers on Capitol Hill are going to have a ton of heartburn about that. 
Um, because, but you know, she's just heading right to the heart of the sausage making. And then I love that. Um, you know, she's a black woman. She got involved in government after seeing the effects of government in the private sector. I like her articulation of why she's a Republican. I just think that she, uh, is going to be a huge leader in the party going forward. And, and I would love to see that. So also aesthetically, um, that's a killer name. Huntsman love. That's, Come on. that's my dream ticket. Well, I was thinking about this, and I think my ticket might give you a little bit of heartburn because they're both senators, but I just love them so much, and I could not let it go. So my um, presidential nominee, although, again, Hillary Clinton is probably one of my dream tickets, although my she, the only reason she would not be on my dream ticket is because she just carries so much baggage for other people, and I get that, and it is, it's so heartbreaking to me, but I get it, so it wouldn't be her, but it would be sort of her I think what a lot of people um see as her sort of well this was her heir apparent in New York Kristen Gillibrand oh I love me some Kristen Gillibrand I love that she was elected young I love that she was like this working senator mom I think that her the way she tackled sexual assault in the military as a member of the um armed services committee was fantastic I think she's smart I think she's thoughtful uh, I just love her I think she would be a great president so Kristen Gillibrand and my vice president would be Cory Booker, who we've both talked about on this podcast a lot and who I feel like is just the best America has to offer. <laughs> I don't want to overstate this. Also, because I've met him, I've talked about this, and he's just so lovely. But I think that what I love about Cory Booker is just that he was so boots on the ground, getting dirty when he was the mayor of Newark and just making things happened, went up against this entrenched political machine, fought hard. I mean, he saved people from a burning building. Come on. What else do you need to know? I love Cory Booker. And I can get over him being a senator because he has executive experience. But he's yeah. been a mayor. That's a big deal. That's true. And a, a mayor of Newark. Whew, I wouldn't want to be the mayor of Newark. That's a job. I wouldn't either. Job. Cory Booker is a great choice, I think. He is. Yeah, he'd be great. So, um, and really, let's just be, I, they could go, he could be president, she could be vice president. I'm not picky. Just those two. So I forgot to say what was problematic about my ticket. They're both from Utah, randomly. Oh. I don't, you know, I don't know what my affinity for Utah Republicans appears to be, but. Um, that is interesting. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I like Kristen Gillibrand. I, you know, she, she's not my cup of tea on policy, but I think she's a, a nice choice. I would be surprised if she weren't on a presidential ticket from she your party at some point. I mean, I think so. I think absolutely be, a rising sure. star. Yeah, definitely. And both, I I like both that they're young and have sort of this fresh vision and this fresh approach. I'm just a big fan. And Cory Booker right now on Twitter with his loving kindness. Oh, can't get enough of it. Everybody's the nastier people are to him, the nicer he is. And I just think it's fantastic. I like that about him too. And I think it takes a lot of courage to come out with that perspective in this climate, in a presidential mm -hmm. year, you know, for him to come out with that book now. I think that's a courageous act. I really, I really admire it. Be interesting. What do you think about him as a, as a Supreme Court nominee? Like, oh, I kind of think that's a wonderful idea. But if I were a Democrat, I might think, oh, no, I want him on our presidential ticket eventually. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't think that... Um... I don't think that he'll be a Supreme Court nominee. He's also a baby. He's, how old is he? He's got to be just in his early, late 30s, early 40s. I have no idea. 
I don't know about that. I'm not good at guessing ages, to be honest with you. It's, I have some skills in life. That's not one of them. I'm not good at guessing the amount of people in everyone. People are like, how many people you think are here? I'm like, I don't know, 12. It could be 1,200. I don't know. Oh, I'm, I'm terrible. terrible at that, too. Also, distance. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what else? It doesn't matter because we fixed our political system in the last segment. So it doesn't matter if we're bad at guessing distance and the amount of people in a room or people's ages. Self-awareness is important. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsu Politics. Um, we really appreciate everyone's support, all the people donating on our, our donating on our new website, PantsuPoliticsShow.com. If you'd like, if you're interested in becoming a supporter of the show, go check it out. And I, I promise this is the last time I tease the t-shirts. I will prom- We're going to start taking pre-orders on Pantsu Politics t-shirts, so keep an eye out. And so we'll be back again on Friday with the briefcase to send you into the weekend with a couple of short stories. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on Twitter and Facebook between now and then. Keep it nuanced, y'all.